We need to create a compelling vision of what living in a sustainable home can mean. We need to make it really, really easy for them to make good choices in terms of sustainability. Home sweet home, where we live and spend a huge share of our lives, has come to matter even more since the pandemic, with more people working from home and others just realizing they like spending more time there regardless. But spending more time at home, even just relaxing, means using energy, which can be expensive given volatile energy costs. And it also generally means generating carbon emissions. What if people could live in homes that produce more energy than they consume over their lifetime? That would have a huge positive impact on the environment, both short-term and long-term. And what if making that idea happen also reduced the home's carbon footprint on the way? Would that even be possible? We have the solution, so now we have to focus on knowledge uh, sharing. If we can do it in Norway, we can do it uh, anywhere. A group of companies in Norway, including Skanska, may have part of the solution as they develop and build homes that few could have dreamed of just a few years ago. This place produces more energy than it will consume over its lifetime. You're listening to Shaping Sustainable Places, a podcast from Skanska about climate and the built environment, the ongoing transition in the development and construction industry, and innovative solutions to real problems. In this episode, we'll be talking about the future of housing and the revolutionizing phenomenon of powerhouses. I'm Madeline Josidulrici. Just south of the Arctic Circle, in the Norwegian city of Trondheim, where summer nights are almost endless, winter days are short, and where the sunlight for part of the year is scarce and the temperatures low. Construction teams are putting the finishing touches on this three-story, 97-apartment complex of the future. With thermal wells deep in the ground nearby and hybrid solar panels on the roof, the apartments built here will produce more energy than they will ever make use of during their entire lifespan. I think it is pretty cool with these uh, solar panels because uh, they are pretty visual for uh, everyone. And uh, it is a good uh, visual sign that uh, there is some extraordinary with these buildings. Ingrid Skerstad at Skanska is the project leader assistant for this project, Powerhouse Lada, in the Gartner Sleda district of Trondheim. And the idea is that these buildings, when they're done, will be energy positive over their entire life cycle, which in this case is estimated at 60 years. We are making sure that the building is energy efficient and also that it generates energy. For example, we have reduced the size of the windows to make sure that the energy doesn't disappear from the apartment, but we haven't reduced them that much so the quality is still there. You get the light in inside your apartment and we have these uh, thermal wells that gives uh, thermal energy to the uh, building and also solar panels, both standard solar panels and also um, solar hybrid panels. And the solar hybrid panels gives both thermal energy and electrical energy to the building. We'll get back to both thermal energy and the powerhouse project in Trondheim in a while. But first, 
Stephen Richardson, director of the Europe Regional Network, representative of the World Green Building Council in the EU Sustainable Finance Platform, and a leading expert in energy and carbon reduction in buildings. Stephen, you're in Germany. I am, yes. I live in the very southwest corner of Germany, right on the corner where Germany meets France and Switzerland. It's a very beautiful part of the world, just at the southern end of the Black Forest. How's your own housing, may I ask, climate-wise? Um, it's it's gradually improving. So we, uh, bit by bit, we try and improve its performance. We did some renovation works and put some internal insulation in uh, a few months ago. And we've actually just had it connected to the district heating system that's being installed in our village. Mm -hmm. So we got rid of our gas boiler and now we're connected to a district heating system, which is powered by around 75% renewable sources of energy. So it's a combination of there's some combined heat and power, wood-fired uh, heating. So we're decarbonizing our heating as well, but it's a, it's a slow process. I'd like to start by asking you about this quote of yours. You saying that buildings are at the very heart of our way of life, but that they're also one of the biggest sources of emissions. So would you like to expand what are the current challenges for housing? I, I think there are, there are two different perspectives to take on this, depending on whether we're thinking about developed economies, the global north, or emerging and developing economies in the global south. The mm. biggest challenge in, in developed economies really is the, the poor performance of the existing building stock. Many houses in Europe are nowhere near where they need to be in terms of energy performance. There's a major challenge there around providing people with the knowledge and the resource to be able to retrofit their homes. But if we think about the global south where, you know, there's massive urbanization happening, the population continues to grow. I think there was a statistic from UN Habitat that we need something like 96,000 new houses a day globally to, to meet the, the needs of a growing population. So there's a, there's a huge need for new construction in the global south. And again, we have to think about how can we achieve that in the most carbon efficient way. And, and there it becomes not just about energy efficiency, which is clearly essential. We must build energy efficient homes, energy efficient buildings. But we also have to think about the materials that we build with, the so-called embodied carbon, the, the emissions that come from manufacturing, from constructing buildings. Um, and they contribute significantly to climate change as well. So the, the sector is responsible for about 40% just under 40% of emissions globally. And uh, at least a, a sort of a quarter to a third of that comes from the manufacture and, and construction of buildings. And as, as we build more homes, obviously that increases. So we have to think about how do we reduce the, the carbon intensity of, of the materials that we build with. And could you give us a hint of what you believe the future actually does hold? Yeah, I think there's a whole host of actions that are going to need to be taken um, to reduce the, the carbon intensity of construction. We need to build with more renewable materials. Um, so we need to do more with bio-based, but we won't escape from the need to use a lot of concrete, a lot of steel, a lot of, a lot of traditional materials as well. So we need to decarbonize the production mm -hmm. processes, processes of those materials too. And we need to think more about sufficiency and about reusing the materials that we already have, making sure we're maximizing the existing assets that we have. There's increasing sort of interest in looking at how to convert unused office space into apartments. And, and we need to think about how we do that effectively and create high quality homes, not low quality in those conversions. So there's a, there's a whole range of different measures that we'll need to take. And today, from where we're at right now, what actually does make a home more sustainable? 
for for existing buildings, I think the building fabric and the quality of the building fabric is really key. And then once you've dealt with the building fabric, then you would obviously start to think about the systems. What systems are you using to heat the building? Is there a source of renewable heat, whether that's a heat pump or a connection to district heating, for example, or solar thermal is, is another option in some cases. So that, that those would be key considerations for existing buildings. When we're talking about new homes, obviously the, the materials we're using become a much more important factor. Um, so thinking about low carbon construction materials is, is really key for new buildings. And I think increasingly there will be a, a move to, to consider uh, reuse of, of materials. And we're seeing some, some exciting pilots, some, some interesting sort of lighthouse projects around Europe that, that have showcased what can be done with the existing materials. So that's a, a key consideration when we think about new buildings. We need to create a compelling vision of what living in a sustainable home can mean for people's daily lives. Um, so we need to show people how that can increase the health and well-being that they will have uh, in their home, the comfort levels that they can experience. The financial argument is important too. You know, we can tell people about the cost savings that they will have, but that's not the only the only thing, I think we, we sometimes focus on that a little bit too much. So, so that holistic, compelling vision, I think, is, is something that we, we need to get better at creating and selling to people. And for people in that position, you know, fortunate enough to be taking a decision about where they will live, the kind of home that they want to buy or build, I think we need to make it really, really easy for them to make good choices in terms of sustainability. It's clear that, um, you know, buying a home is a very, very emotional decision. It's, it's one of the biggest investments and most significant decisions that people will make in their lifetime is where, where they live. It impacts on every aspect of their life. So there's an old saying that estate agents use, you know, that the three most important things about a property are location, location, location. That's not going to change people are still going to want a home that's near the school that they want their children to attend. They're going to want a home that is well connected to local amenities. But we are seeing that more efficient buildings are retaining their value better versus inefficient buildings. So within the same locations, when, you know, when all things are considered, all other factors remaining equal, the value of the, of the efficient properties, the energy efficient properties in a, in a neighbourhood is increasing or staying stable versus the inefficient properties. And I think the other thing that we, you know, we're seeing is that there is now an appeal. It's not universal. It's more, more visible in some market segments than others, but there is an appeal for certain features, whether that's solar panels on the roof or a heat pump or an electric vehicle charging point. So some of these features that are associated with, with sustainability and, and can improve the energy performance and the, the cost of running a building are featuring people's purchasing decisions. So it, it's a gradual process, but it is changing. And um, I think we're, you know, we're seeing that in, in a number of European markets in, in, in the data that's available. Exactly, because we're facing challenges both in terms of attitudes, um, also in terms of what is actually being properly addressed and not in policy. Now, moreover, the debate is difficult because we know that emissions are difficult to measure 
or quantify in some cases. So what tools overall do you think we need to deal with these challenges? I would say we, we have a lot of the tools and solutions that we need. The challenge is scaling those across the sector. We know what it takes to build a net zero building. Many of the technologies that we'll need to decarbonize the built environment already, it's insulation, it's efficient heating systems, efficient lighting, these all exist. There's more to be done around decarbonizing intensive industries like the concrete and the steel sector. There's more to do there. But there's a lot that we already can do. And there are tools that we can use to predict the, the performance of buildings more effectively when we design them. There are tools that we have to calculate the carbon footprint of the materials that we build with. The challenge is that the sector is, is so fragmented and dominated by SMEs, so small and medium-sized enterprises and, and micro-enterprises. And to disseminate these different approaches and technologies across such a diverse, such a, such a fragmented industry takes time. So what we really need is strong political signals to the industry that this change is needed. There will be ambitious policy driving reduction across the full life cycle. That's something that we're calling for in our, in our global advocacy and our European advocacy is ambitious targets for the built environment at the asset level both on operational carbon, so that's the, the emissions from heating, lighting, and so forth, but also the embodied carbon, the emissions from materials and construction. And, and we're seeing there's, there's progress on that. There is uh, more political discourse, more uh, signals that that is the direction of travel. But the industry needs confidence over the long term that that is what will happen in, in policy. We need those strong long-term political signals to ensure that the breadth of industry, not just a handful of market leaders, but the whole of the sector is, is able to invest in deploying these, these tools, these skills, and um, sort of ramping up the capacity to deliver net zero buildings in, in practice. Back to Norway. Looking at the city of Trondheim, it's located in quite a cold part of the world and exposed to thermal variations that could be challenging for any housing and construction. To get the building's energy positive on top of that, ingenuity is required. For those connected to Powerhouse Lada project, that precise ingenuity is a pivotal driving force to explore alternative building solutions and new ways of thinking. They describe Trondheim's unique weather conditions as the perfect opportunity on the perfect spot. This is a special area in Trondheim. We call it the green lung. We have the forest around us. We have nature. We have the old cultural landscape. It's like the future meet the past. Kim Bundgård is Skanska Residential's project manager for Powerhouse Lada. It's quite fantastic, but it wasn't an easy journey with the municipality and to regulate this project. There was a struggle to fit in this area. Things that are new are often scary. Give it some years now and see. I think this is going to be very good. New things are often scary, and this still is quite new. The powerhouse concept started back in 2011 as a cooperation between five companies in Norway, including Skanska. So far, it has resulted in four projects, which have been commercial properties and a school. Powerhouse Lada is the fifth and the first residential project. It might not sound like there's a big difference, but there is. Yeah, because in the, in the commercial site, you have bigger volumes, you have more uh, 
chances to affect the way of energy. But in the residential, you have, like here on Lada, we have 200 different customers. We can't decide how many times do you want to shower a day? Do you want 21 degrees inside or do you want 26 degrees inside? So it's it's quite difficult, but we try to make it possible to save energy for those who live there. One thing is that we have screens in every entrance that shows how much energy you're producing from the solar panels on the roof, but also you can see how much your building is using. And maybe you can have some kind of competition because everyone knows how much energy they are using themselves in each apartment. A challenge between apartments. Gamified living in the name of energy saving. But the team talks about motivation rather than control. To earn the plus energy building definition, they have to pass the Norwegian standard and a surplus of two kilowatt hours per square meter over a year. So switches in each apartment make sure that the customers can turn off all of their lights and devices with one click as they leave, and at the same time reduce the ventilation level. Financial benefits for those who use less electricity than the established standard have also been introduced. And also for the customers. The energy is produced on site, and there is some affections from outside, but the prices for energy is predictable, so we don't follow the up and downs in the outside market. But powerhouses aren't just about saving energy, they're also about reducing the CO2 emissions, or carbon footprints. Ingrid Skierstad again. We have been working a lot with our carbon budget in this project to make sure that the carbon footprint of a building is as low as possible. So we have, uh, for instance, been using uh, different types of low-carbon concrete. We have uh, reduced the amount of steel in the construction. We have been looking at different types of isolation, both for the roof and the walls in the project, and try to find the isolation with the lowest impact on the carbon footprint. As well as the work with the insulation, Ingrid explains that the use of low-carbon concrete has had a major positive impact. The concrete with the most carbon-saving impact on this project has uh, reduced the carbon footprint with the 60% from the industry reference. One of the biggest challenges in a climate zone like Trondheim is keeping the apartments warm during the long, cold and dark winters. Ivar Ernest from Skanska Technik Norway is the chief energy advisor for the project. Well, of course, during winter, we will not have as much solar production. Then it's the need for heating that is dominating. And uh, the heat for this product will be provided by thermal wells, geothermal energy connected to a heat pump. So winter time, for example, we will not be net energy positive, but uh, we will compensate for that during summer, spring and autumn, so that during a whole year, we will have produced more energy than we consume. And besides solutions like thermal energy supply, integrated solar cells and hybrid solar panels, the project in Gartner Sleda also focuses on what they call LOX. In short, LOX is a concept for high-efficient thermal energy supply. Uh, that's actually a result of a Skanska-led research project we finished a couple of years ago. The focus with this concept is to optimize every part of the system from the thermal wells to the underfloor heating system in the rooms 
to make it possible to provide the building with the necessary heat at as low temperatures as possible on the circulating water. Because if we manage that, the heat pumps we are using will have very good working conditions and the overall system efficiency will be very high. So, for example, in the apartments, uh, we have some limitations on what kind of uh, floor cover we can use because we need to have the thermal resistance between the circulating water and the room air as low as possible. The Powerhouse Lada project is already a commercial success. Almost all the apartments have been sold, and the first residents will move in during spring of 2024. But for the team behind this first residential powerhouse project, it's really just the beginning. Chief Energy Advisor Ever Ernest again. I think it was necessary to start with commercial buildings to test and get uh, experience with the necessary solutions. We also see that the cost of the solutions are reduced for every project we finished. And we also get more experience on how they function when they are put to use. So to scale the powerhouse concept to residential, it has to be cost effective and at the same time meet the user's expectations when it comes to comfort, robustness and flexibility. So it took some years, but we think that we now have the solutions and we are convinced that both Skanska and the Norwegian building industry is ready for scaling. Now we have shown that we can make an energy positive housing project in Norway and I think that's an important signal that if we can do it in Norway, we can do it uh, anywhere. So now we have the solution. So now we have to focus on knowledge uh, sharing. And it is important to get also the rest of the Skanska system to embrace it. And we also seen from the projects we already have finished that other countries are interested and are looking into the possibilities. But uh, one of the essential factors to make a successful powerhouse concept is the way we work early involvement of uh, skilled professionals from the beginning of the project to get uh, the best solutions. While it's easy to get enthusiastic about innovative solutions and new technology, Ever's colleague at Skanska, Kim Bundgord, often thinks about who we are actually making these changes for and why. To leave planet Earth ready for coming generations is key to all his efforts. We see it more and more. People get more aware of the climate changes and can I myself reduce my CO2 uh, footprint? I am really concerned about the climate and the changes we see around the world. And I have uh, two kids that's going to grow up and they're going to meet this much harder than we do. And I can do in my work with the Paraslada something that makes uh, the future may be brighter for them. We are making a difference here. Thank you for listening. And special thanks to our guests, Stephen Richardson at the World Green Building Council and Skanska's Kim Bundgord, Ivar Ernest, and Ingrid Skierstad from the Powerhouse Lada Project in Gartnersleda for taking the time to share their thoughts and insights on the future of housing. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out in the future. If you have any thoughts about this episode or ideas for new ones to come, don't hesitate to reach out to podcast at skanska.com. We'd love to hear from you. This is a podcast from Skanska, a leading property development and construction group. 
To find out more about how we and others are creating healthy, resilient communities and spaces, visit us at foresight.skanska.com. I'm Madeline Jostad Ulrici. Have a happy, healthy, and peaceful holiday season. We'll be back in January. Join us then as we explore more of shaping sustainable places. Thank you.